You know, uh, I, had the, I had the wonderful privilege of, of ministering just uh, last year in, in South Korea. And you may know that, of course, there was a great revival uh, in South Korea and, and Yongi Cho, who's heard of Yongi Cho? Got a massive church. Of, I think it's just short of a million uh, people. It's not a bad-sized church. And uh, I was in a place called Incheon, where there was a, a Presbyterian church. Uh, it has 110,000 members. And uh, they started beautifully in worship. They, they started with the orchestra and the, the choir, and, and it was absolutely amazing. But the people weren't engaging. They were, they were just listening to the orchestra. And it was wonderful. And then the Lord said, no, I, 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 don't want, I don't want their sound. I want their sound. I want their sound. And so we, we ministered and we took a Presbyterian church from Presbyterian to Pentecostal in 20 minutes. <laughs> Why? Because the people have been longing to praise. Because they've been longing for the revival that their forefathers had. But religion had stewarded so the revival couldn't get in. And there's a whole generation saying, we want more. We want what you had. We want the foundation upon which this church was built. Does that, does that ring with you today? I mean, who wants the authentic expression of God in their life? That's why you're here. That's why you're the life house. The life house. Whose life? The life of Christ being revealed through you. And I I just think it's so wonderful and exciting uh, that we can partner in the gospel. I just, I really do feel that God wants to empower a people in this hour like never before. And I'm I'm hoping that something that I can talk about this morning about how Jesus builds his church will will help you. Now, here's, here's the rules of engagement. You like to listen quietly, and I respect that, because I'm going to say some things where you're going to go, I'm not sure if I really got that. But if you get something this morning, and your heart goes, yes, allow your voice to go, amen, so be it, let it be established in me. Why is that true? Why is that important? Does it encourage me? Of course it encourages me. But I'm not doing it just for me. I'm doing it for us, and I'll tell you why. There's a spiritual law that operates where two or more are in agreement on any matter touching earth from heaven it will be established your amen establishes something in you that is very important as a revelation comes forward as there's a sound of god that hits your heart this morning and you go yes that's me you're allowed to say and so be it why because everything is established every promise is yes in jesus to which we give the amen on earth that's how the spiritual things work and so, so what happens is we engage together, we participate together in the hearing of the word. The hearing of the word is not just a listening exercise, it's a learning exercise. You see, you can, you can listen to me and go, well, that was nice. And you can go on today and you wouldn't have learned a cracker. That's an Australian phrase, means nothing. <laughs> now, I don't want you to go with nothing, I want you to go with more of Jesus. So I'm allowed to do my bit, but you've got to do your bit. And then we'll work together to cause Jesus to be formed in our hearts and he builds his house. Amen? Okay. So the Bible reveals an amazing story, not just of Israel, but all humanity and the restoration of all things. Say the restoration of all things. Come on, now we're working together. The gospel story 
of rescuing and restoration of power of God hidden in the Old Testament, but revealed through the law and the prophets until Jesus. Jesus said, the law and the prophets were until John. But now, behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. There was a shift that came in Jesus. Say, there's a shift in Jesus. The old has to go and the new has to come. And so Jesus, as the heavenly Son of God, coming in human form, born to a woman, came as a servant king. Can you say servant king? To rescue, to rescue, to rescue. Now, why does he have to rescue us? Because we've been under a power of the Elohim, Psalm 82, who rule with Satan, who've locked us up and the nations up by spiritual forces. And our life has fallen. We've been living a fallen life. We haven't been living a Christ life. We've been exiled from Eden. Say Eden. We've been put out of the garden with Israel. But now, like Israel, we are being restored back into something. So Jesus comes himself and he rescues us from spiritual darkness and incorrect government. He takes us out of disorder and he brings us into his order. That's what salvation does through the forgiveness of sins. And what is so good is this plan of Eden, which starts in Genesis, is fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Eden becomes the storyline of all scripture. What is God saying? Even as I caused man to come in my rest, and I'm going to take you to the scriptures, I gave them something important. I created them in my image and my likeness to image me into the world as they carry my assignment to bring forward the heavenly kingdom and cause it to be established on earth. There was an assignment, a purpose in a relationship. Relationship and purpose work together. And Jesus taught on this over and over and over again. You cannot fulfill the purpose God's called you to without the relationship that Jesus has called you into. Relationship defines purpose. It empowers you for purpose. Who wants to be empowered? It comes out of that relationship. So the first thing that God has to do in his son Jesus Christ is die on the cross in his suffering. He releases us from the power of darkness which kept us at arm's length from God in exile. We no longer walk at the distance from God. Through the blood of Jesus, we are restored back and we are brought back into an intimate relationship with God. And now we join with God in the Godhead relationship. This Godhead relationship is expressed through the power of the cross. For God so loved the world. He didn't conditionally love the world. He extravagantly loved the world. That extravagant love of God means he says you have unsurpassing worth and value. Do you know why only God could die for you? Because that is the value God puts on who you are. See, Peter said, can I use an Australianism? All the tea in China couldn't buy you. You are worth more. No, there's no currency 
in this physical material world that ascribes the value and worth God says you are to him. That's just the truth. But because of shame and fallenness, we can't accept that truth. We hide from that truth and we hide from God. And we're used to hiding from God instead of coming to God. And so we walk with God at a distance. But through the cross, he says, there's no more distance. For nothing shall separate you from the love of God. No height, nor depth, nor angels. Nothing. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Because he has shown himself faithful through the cross. He now brings you in his son Jesus. His son Jesus comes and gets you. And now he brings you to the Father. So that you may dwell in the reality of this love relationship of honour and love expressing itself with unsurpassable worth and value. You are joined in to a relationship as family with God. And ascribed worth and value. Someone say amen. amen. That's who you really are. That's your starting point for everything. And it's the greatest difficulty we get to. Because that truth is so radical, we can barely believe it. But that is the truth and the power of the forgiveness of sins. And he re- restores us to something very significant. Not only do I go to the cross with Jesus because he com- becomes my perfect substitute, fulfilling the shadow and type of Genesis 15. I don't have time to go there this morning. But Genesis 15 talks about two parties going through a blood trench to fulfill a promise. Abram says, how will I know this promise will be realised? He puts him into a sleep. And there's two parties to a blood covenant, the father and the son. And here's the reality we've got to understand. You did not make a covenant with the Father in the same way Israel made a covenant through Moses with God. You did not do that. Jesus made a covenant with the Father and he perfected it through his obedience. In other words, you know what? You can't actually mess it up except not believe. That's the only way you can mess that covenant up is not believe what Jesus has done as your substitute, as you with the Father. It's not you, it's Him. And His perfect obedience established a perfect blood covenant and He takes you out of the old nature and He brings you with Him, sins forgiven. He says, hey, come into my family. You're an outsider, but now you're an insider. Why? Because I want to show you the secrets and the realities of the kingdom realm so you can manifest it everywhere you go. What the heck? You see, restoration in relationship means restoration in the purposes of God. It doesn't just mean my sins are forgiven and one day I go to heaven and we all live happily ever after. That's not the gospel that Paul preached. It's the the gospel that the church preaches. It's a popular gospel, but it's another gospel. It's not the gospel that Paul preached. The gospel that Paul preached understood the history of Israel, understood the journey of Israel, understood the fall of the garden. It understood idolatry. And where there's idolatry, where self was at the center, God's purposes can't be fulfilled. So God had to restore Christ at the center in our lives through the cross so that God's purposes could be fulfilled. See, you've been restored as a son and a daughter. You are a royal 
priesthood. You know what that means? Your supernatural royalty. See, this house is a royal house. This house is God's royal house of priests and kings designed to rule and reign over spiritual darkness in the world. How? By ourselves? No. See what? What the blood does is restores us back to the heart of the Father in the Son and causes us to come back and live from God's rest. Let me take you to some scripture. Let's have a look at Genesis chapter 2. I hope you brought your Bible. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, say seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day, say blessed, and declared it holy, set apart. Because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. What was the work of creation? He brought a governmental realm and put everything back in order. And in the ancient thought, when a, when a deity came into their temple, and the garden was a temple, when, when God said he rested and he invited humanity to live from that place of rest, he had come and manifested all of his deity, all of who he was, together with his government. This is a cosmic spiritual government. Why? Because there are more than just the earth. There are heavens and the earth. And there is more than just God. There are angelic beings and there are other spiritual forces. Paul says our fight is not against flesh and blood, people, but what? Principalities and powers. You, we, we have been dropped into a spiritual reality for geography. We are the place where God chooses to dwell on earth to bring forward his kingdom realm, his government, through his image from his rest to a geography. It's not insignificant that God has put you here. It's not by chance that you are here together. Acts says that. God determines the place and the timing. But he's brought you together for a purpose. And the purpose is to reveal your relationship with God towards one another and beyond these boundaries. Because God's building a house. Just in the way he, you've built a house, God's building his house. His house is you in this house. Makes sense. God dwells in people, not buildings. But when God dwells in people in buildings, guess what? God builds in the geography of that place. Why? Because attached to geography are spiritual forces. We will not change this region simply relationally. We have to change this region when we become connected to Jesus and the love of Jesus from the rest of God flows through us towards one another. Now we're not trying to love in our own ability. We're loving from God's ability. Because love carries a realm. It carries the government of heaven. It's the throne of God. The throne of God is justice and righteousness, which is love. God 
has called us to be kings to bring judgments against principalities and powers, not people. We're called to love people, not judge them. We're called to judge the principalities and powers that they have given agreement to and they don't even know they've done it. Is this too deep? It's okay. So let's have a look. Entering into God's rest means something. It means we enter into the fullness of God. When we enter into God's rest, we give ourselves into him and it's him that flows towards us. As we come to him, he flows in us. He comes to gather us first. No one can come to the Father except through the Son and no one come to the Son except by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does something in us, leads us to Christ who takes us to the Father and then the Scripture says both of them take up their dwelling in us. Now, why, why, why do I want to walk at a distance from God? Is that a powerful position to op- occupy in the world? My greatest, most empowered position is a place of vulnerability and intimacy with God, entering in to his rest. Let's have a look at this. Because we see something really important in Genesis 3.8. And Genesis 3.8 gives an expression of what it would be like to enter into God's rest. And I'll just read it from the New Living Translation. And it says this, that humanity was to walk with, or halak, halak, with God, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, when the Lord would walk with them in the garden in a place of innocence and vulnerability. That's how we started, in innocence and vulnerability. What happened in the fall is we were separated from the love of God. And now shame veiled our hearts. Hey, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. He wasn't saying physically, where are you, Adam? He's going, where's the Adam I know? What's happened, Adam? What's happened, Adam? Where are you, Adam? You're not connecting with me like, what did you do, Adam? You've broken the connection. What did you do, Adam? You bought into a lie that separated you from the heart of God. Caused shame to cover your life, no longer being vulnerable and innocent. Who can fix up this reality? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. And this is what Paul talks about. So he says in Colossians 1.15, have a look at this. He, speaking of Jesus, he is the divine portrait preaching from the Passion Translation, the true likeness of the invisible God. What does God look like, Jesus? What is, I don't know what God... Show us God. Philip, hey, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Yeah, yeah, Philip. Didn't you know that the Father and I are one? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, this becomes really, really important because Jesus is modelling the very commission in the garden. Who are we to reveal in our lives? The world? Or when people come with us? Hey, show us the unseen God. Didn't you know the Father and I are one? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus becomes the perfect prototype for all humanity who are born again 
entering into God's rest, living by the flow of the presence of God within them. This is not just a make-believe story. This is our potential when we learn how to come to God in vulnerability of heart, without shame, embracing his love, embracing his wisdom. Remember last year I said there's a wisdom that comes from below and there's a wisdom that comes from above. The goal was to have the wisdom from above in relationship with God. And as we come to him in relationship, the wisdom of heaven flows towards us. You see, we want revelation by looking at the word and reading the word. And it's good to read the word. I'm I'm all for that. But I want to tell you a key. If I want to read the word, I need to come to the one who is the word. I need to come to him first. I need to come to him in intimacy. Then this book which makes no sense, all of a sudden becomes revelation to me. Why is that important? Because the only way I'm going to transform my life is by transforming my mind. Does that make sense? I've got to renew my mind to the present reality of actually who I am because of the blood of Jesus. The first truth we struggle with is that I am loved and worthy. Why? Because we feel fear and shame. We might not say it, but that's what underpins us. And what underpins our thinking is fear, loss and lack. Why? Because that's where we've lived generationally in the world. That's what the world produces. And we are brought out of that mindset, out of that foundation, into a foundation of love, fullness and completeness. This is what Paul says. For through the Son... Everything was created both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm, government, principality and authority, it was all created through him for his purpose. He existed before anything was made and now everything finds completion in him. How do we find the completion of our maturity as a son and daughter of God? In him. Jesus said in John 15, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But we try. We give it a good crack, don't we? Eh? When I'm in a mess, I'll come to you, Jesus. But other than that, I've got it covered. No worries. Thanks, Jesus. I'm doing pretty well by myself. Jesus just goes, okay. You can keep doing it in your own steam, but you will get worn out, you will get tired, and you'll get burnt out on religion because that's what you're practicing. You can move from religion to relationship anytime you choose by saying, God, here I am, I need you. When you come to him, you come to him in all of who you are. He's not looking for your perfection. He comes so he can transform you into his perfection. He takes you as you are. Why? Because you're a building project. You're a building project. You're born again in your spirit, but your soul is still used to connecting with the world. So I've got to learn a bit like Simon Peter learned. I've got to learn how to come and build out of the revelation of Christ, not the wisdom of the world. Am I making sense this morning? See, we're used to living. That's the pattern of our old thinking. We're used to living out of our emotion, out of our separation from God, foundation of fear, loss, and lack. And God brings us up into Christ and says, no, 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 no. I'm going to restore you to my love so I can restore you to my purpose. Now, walk with me. Halak. Walk with me intimately. As one. Just like you are one with your husband or your wife. Two separate people. Two physically separate people. 
but you are connected at the level of a spirit and soul that causes you to want to honor one another. Am I making sense? So as we halak in the cool of the evening, this is Hebraism, classic, classic teaching about the Rosh Kodesh, which is the Holy Spirit who blows. And Jesus uses this language to Nicodemus. He says, hey, the people that are born again are like, like the Holy Spirit. You don't know where it's coming from, but you only see where it's going. It's not limited in its capacity in any way. Let me ask you a question. Is God limited? If God is in you, is there a limitation? Then why, where's the limitation? Is it on God's part? It's on my part. And what is the limitation I impose on God? I get him to fit into my understanding. I don't bring my understanding to his ways. I bring the greater into the lesser and go, God looks just like me. And God says, no, no, no. That's a fallen idea. You're meant to look just like me. I created you in my image. Fundamental shift has to take place. And so Paul, Paul says this, and, and what he says is so amazing, I think we can barely understand it. And he's the head of the body, which is the church. And since he's the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one. Why do we worship? Because he's the most exalted one. Well, I don't feel like worshipping today. He's the most exalted one. It's really going bad for me at the moment. He's the most exalted one. Oh, but you don't understand. Yes, I do understand. I've been in the valley. And the greatest place that I can have in the, in the valley is to recognise he's with me on the mountain and he's with me in the valley. He's with me in my difficulties and he's with me when it's all going well. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. And when he takes me to the valley, the first power that I can release is praise because the first thing Satan wants to use by my circumstances is to stop me praising God. He will use the circumstances of adversity to take me out, to disconnect me, to say, hey, look at you, boy. Where are the promises of God now? Anyone been there? Oh, yeah, I've had a little season of that. And I've learned in the midst of a valley, he prepares a place for me. He says, boy, I know what Satan's trying to do. I know what's going on. But I'm going to bring you to a table of my provision, my revelation, and I'm going to anoint you again with a power. When you leave this table, when you leave this circumstance, you're going to be a breakthrough. Why? Because I'm putting courage in you to be an overcomer. See, I don't have to live under fear. That's my choice because I'm empowered to live by love and I'm empowered to live by his life. It's a question of who I want to put my trust in. I choose. Jesus, because he is the revelation that will build my life. When there are signs, wonders and miracles breaking through, is that an amazing thing? Absolutely. But I want to tell you the greater thing is the revelation that Jesus gives you about who he is in the miracle. The miracle's not the goal. That's just the perizim, the kingdom breaking in, revealing the truth of the risen king. We build the church not on miracles. I love them. I see them. God uses me in them. But it's not the biggest deal. It's who the miracles point to, which is how Jesus builds his church. Let me take you to the example of 
Peter, Luke chapter 5. Because I want to ground this a little bit in Peter. Who, who likes reading Peter? I love reading Peter because I can really track with Peter. I, I, th- I think Peter's there as a, as a uh, representation for every believer on their journey. Who, who believes that? You know, because Peter, there's something interesting about Peter. His name was Simon Peter. Simon means read. Peter, Jesus said to him, meant the rock of revelation. He moved in his life as a double-minded man. Anyone being a double-minded person? The Bible says you read who you are in the word and you hold it like a mirror. Now, how some people have taught this is you'll see your sin when you hold it to the word. No, I see who I am when I hold it to the word. I see how God sees me when I hold it to the word. Because he's no longer counting my sin against me. He's not dealing with me on the basis of my sin. He's dealing with me on the basis of Christ's righteousness and the finished work of the cross. We've got to leave our sin consciousness and come to a Christ consciousness because the one you behold is the one you become. Let me put it this way. Who's ever tried this wonderful technique, which we're all told? I've got to die to sin. I've got to die to sin. Anyone been taught that? Yeah. And so if we've been around a bit, we we spend the money. I've got to die to that sin. And so we get into the Romans 7 error. Paul goes, dude, what are you doing? Don't you know the law's good? But the problem is, was what's in you. What's in you is another law. It's a sin nature. Now, here's the truth. What happened when I was born again? What happened to my sin nature? It was crucified with Jesus. Now I've got a Christ nature in my spirit man that's outworking himself through a relationship with God and the revelation of Jesus. If I'm going to follow Paul, I need to follow all of Paul. He says, put off your old man and put on Jesus and reckon like a good accountant that your old life on the ledger is gone and finished. You see, that's the wrestle. What Satan will want to do is bring you back under Moses and keep you out of Jesus. The law was made for a fallen humanity. The spirit is made for a resurrected humanity in Christ. See, the administration of the law had to give way to the administration of the spirit. The old has gone and the new has come. I'm perfect even as I'm being made perfect. So the wrestle is, I'm a Simon Peter, becoming Peter. Peter is the fullness of the revelation of Christ being formed in him. But he starts as a Simon Peter. Notice that? So he's got a little bit of an affection for the opinion of men and the world, but I love you, Jesus. Remember that, John 13? He says to Jesus, I love you, Jesus. When I'm in your presence, oh, you're so amazing. I watch all these things you do. Where else would I be? I love my quiet time with Jesus, but I can't handle my family. (laughs) It's a bit like Moses in the tent of meeting. Remember the story, Moses in the tent of meeting? There he is in the glory of God. God comes down, he speaks to him face to face. Now, this is what I want you to do, Moses, okay? Yeah, I'm in the presence. I want you to go and speak to that rock. 
I think he got five paces. He was so annoyed at the people, he smacked the rock. Huh? So you can be in the glory. The question is not what you're living on the mountaintop. The question is how you use the mountaintop in the valley. The question is how you come out of that time to live a transformed life before the people you're meant to touch. And that's where you need to be bold and that's where you need to be courageous. The revelation's given to you so through the anointing of God, through the courage of God, through the faith of God that you get from Him, you can't get faith apart from God. Faith comes from the hearing of the Word, but the hearing of the Word is the present Word that comes from God. So when His present Word comes to you because you've spent time understanding His Word through intimacy... When the present word comes to you, what happens? It comes with his faith, his authority, and his anointing. Then you add your little mustard seed to it, and now you become empowered to go and live it. Then the Holy Spirit's in you going, you're more powerful than you think. Because the Holy Spirit is an administration to cause you to be courageous into this world, to be empowered into this world. Why? Because the world is looking for Jesus, not church. Church is good when Jesus is at the centre. When he's the centre of all of our lives, guess what? This place looks different. When we're still walking at a distance, can we walk in the power and the revelation of Christ? There's a veil that I've created, not God's created. I've moved away from God. God hasn't moved away from me. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This is how I'm going to build my church. Peter, Peter, God gave you a key revelation. It's upon the revelation of me as the Messiah King that I'm going to build my church. That the gates of hell will not prevail against. Why? Because when people build in a revelation of me entering my rest, in my intimacy, they overcome darkness. They don't submit to it. See, hell will have a crack. It'll have a go. But when you are birthed in Jesus, when you are grounded in the revelation of Jesus Christ, you learn how to overcome that pull. And the Holy Spirit allows you to come in to establish that revelation. And as you establish that revelation, more of Christ gets filled in you. And you become a, a, a place. You don't just become a house. You become a home where God dwells. See, we can build a house by principles, but you build a home by relationship. Am I with you? Are you with me this morning? And this is what God's doing. This is what God's doing. You see, we've attached our faith into systems at the expense of relationship. And God's calling the church back into relationship. Systems work well when Christ is the centre and you're connected to his flow. You still need systems. Why? Because you need to be organised. Otherwise, it's like herding cats. You know, it's not like, not like God doesn't have order. He has order. But there's a way in which the order flows from the blueprint which Jesus establishes. When you get into the blueprint and you restore back to the Eden, you get the life flow that causes you to become courageous and powerful into the world. And so like Peter, you've got to get a revelation. And we move from revelation to revelation, increase to increase, glory to glory. We don't where we start is not where we finish. We've come in. We're still building. And every day, God's building. Every day, God's building. 
And the one that started the work, the Bible says, says he will, he's committed to finishing the work. God's committed to getting your house built how he wants it. Why? Because he wants to come and live in you and be himself without limitation. You still with me? Let's look at Peter. On one occasion, Jesus was preaching to the crowds on the shore of Lake Galilee. There was a vast multitude of people pushing to get close to Jesus. Watch this, to hear the word of God. Can you imagine? The people are coming to church early as a crowd to hear the word of God. They're going to push past each other. Hey, I, want to, I, want, I don't want to miss this. There's something when Jesus preaches. There's something when Jesus is preached. It goes off in me. I don't understand it. It's too big for my brain. But I tell you what, I want to be where Jesus is. I believe there's a desire in the world for this reality right now. And I believe we are to be the representations of the living word of God that people will push through, push past to want to hear the words of life. We are the words of life, not by what we speak, first by what we live. It's our life that touches people and creates a platform well before our words do. And when our life touches somebody, they go, hey, someone, you're different than the world. You're different than what's going on. There's something uncommon about you. You carry something that's going off in me. Yeah, now I've got a platform. I'll tell you about Jesus. But I can only do that in him. Look what happens. There was a vast multitude of people pushing close to Jesus to hear the word of God. Jesus noticed two fishing boats at the water's edge with fishermen nearby rinsing their nets. Jesus climbed into the boat belonging to Simon Peter, Reed, Rock, and asked him, let me use your boat, push it off a short distance away from the shore so I can speak to the crowds. Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. You ever notice this? Whenever Jesus preaches, he sits down. What's he doing? He's sitting in the Father's rest. He sits enthroned in the rest, in the intimacy of the Father to speak his words. Jesus says in John 14, Philip, these words I speak are not mine, they're the Father's. I'm not speaking my words. I'm speaking his words. I'm not speaking my words. I'm speaking his words. I enter his rest. I enthrone myself in him as I submit myself to him. The flow of the revelation of the eternal words of life start to flow from me. Intimacy. Surrender. Vulnerability. Yieldedness. All of these words that we struggle with. But the Holy Spirit comes and says, come on, the love of God is greater than where you're at. And it's the love of God that draws you to the truth of God. It's the love of God that draws you to the truth of God. And now, look what happened here. Jesus sits down. He rose out. He starts preaching. But look what he says. Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished, he said to Peter, there's a shift. He didn't say to Simon Peter. He said to Peter. His position for revelation. By what? By coming to Jesus, being obedient. Putting out the boat, hearing him enthroned. Jesus created an atmosphere for his word to be received. And now we see the revelatory and the prophetic working together to bring something forward that's impossible. 
Now row out to deep water to cast your nets and you'll have a great catch. Word of wisdom and the prophetic working together. This is how this church is going to move. When you, when you create a culture of worship, you also create a culture of the prophetic. When you create the culture of the prophetic, God's going to show you things that look impossible. He's going to invite you in to, to establish. Master, Peter replied. Now, master is a term of submission, understanding who Jesus is. He doesn't see equality with Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. Friendship with God is not equality with God. Friendship with God means God has positioned us in relationship as family to hear the secrets of heaven. Why? Why does God want to show us the things of heaven? Because he wants you to establish them on earth. We've just come back from fishing all night and didn't catch a thing. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like that when you, when in your business, in your family relationship, in your church life, in your calling? Jeez, you know what? I've been doing this for quite a while, Jesus. And let me tell you, buddy, I'm really experienced in fishing, but I ain't catching any fish. Like, are you for real? Like, you know, this is my business, right, Jesus? This is my trade. Like, I'm not dull about how to fish. Like, Jesus doesn't kill his skill. He redirects it to his present word. He doesn't, he doesn't take him out of fishing. He brings him into fishing. He says, you can fish the way of the world, or you can fish my way. You can fish your way, and guess what? You won't catch a lot. It'll be hard yards, sweat of the brow. Am I talking to anyone this morning? Like, flip. Is there any breakthrough? You see, half the time the breakthrough is this, that we haven't positioned ourselves to hear the present word of breakthrough. So what happens is, Peter, knowing who Jesus is, although I suspect troubled with the word, says, okay, I'll trust who you are Although the word offends my experience. That's how God renews your mind. That's how God will renew your mind. He will take you to an experience to produce a revelation that is offensive to your present understanding. You can stay in your present understanding, but you won't come into the increase God's got at hand. Am I making sense? Am I talking to anyone this morning? Okay. So they, they said, come back from fishing all night, da, 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 da. but if you insist, if it's you, if you insist, like, you know, like a lot of faith involved, right? If you insist, must I? It's about like my response to my wife when I get home and, oh, you've been preaching over the nations. Can you put the bin out? If you insist. <laughs> so... I love her dearly. Happy Mother's Day. We'll go out again. Like you can hear the tone in his voice, can't you? Like, yeah, we'll go out again and let down our nets because of your present word. Because of your present word. See, the present word of God has power. 
But it's powerless unless I agree with it and cause an action to follow it. When they pulled up their nets, they were shocked to see a huge catch of fish so much that their nets were ready to burst. They waved to their business partners. This was a business miracle. Miracles don't just take place on a Sunday. They take place everywhere. You surrender your life to the present word of God. In your marriage, in your business, everywhere you are, every sphere of life, God's word is valid and powerful into your situation. Sorry, I get a bit wound up. They waved to their business partners in the other boat for help. They ended up completely filling both boats with fish until their boats began to sink. Who wants some of that action? When Simon Peter saw this astonishing miracle, he knelt at the feet and begged him, Go away from me, Master, for I'm a sinful man. The goodness of God led him to repentance. The goodness of God. The miraculous breaking through the power of the word, being revelation and producing its fruit, leads you to change your thinking and turn your life wholly to Jesus. Amen? Now, even when you're in the valley, there is a provision. In fact, the provision in the valley can only be taken in the valley. It's not a mountaintop revelation. It's a valley empowerment. I've got a revelation in my troubles. I've got a revelation when I'm worshipping. Revelation surrounds me. Why? Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. I have bound my life, who I am, to your success and your increase. Why? Because we co-labor together to cause everything to be made new. The forgiveness of sins restores us back to the heart of the Father that we may receive the power of his word and fulfill the assignment he's given us on earth. We are supernatural royalty. We are kings and servants. We serve each other in love with the heart of a king and we rule with the heart of a servant. This is the reality of what God wants to transition you into so he can build his house that will affect not just you, but every life you touch. Because where you go, he goes. What you touch, he touches. He's called you to be his ambassador, to reveal him to the world. But I can't do that living in myself. I've got to learn how to live in him. Amen? Amen. That's my encouragement for you to be as bold as lions.